down the near sideline. Trinneman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown, Cougars! On the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! The voice of the Cougars is talking BYU sports with the players and coaches past and present who've made you rise and shout. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Good evening, Cougar Nation. Welcome inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building here in Provo, Utah, for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Cougar conversations with BYU sports personalities past and present. Really enjoyed our debut show last Wednesday. We spoke with BYU AD Tom Holmo, Associate AD Chad Lewis, both former Cougar greats as players. We also had BYU Sports Nation co-host Spencer Linton as our first ever guest. Really good to have you tuning in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. You can hear the show on demand afterward via the show page at BYURadio.org or through my Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast on all major podcast providers. And we invite you to join the conversation tonight by using hashtag BYUBTM on Twitter. That's BYU behind the mic, hashtag BYUBTM. On tonight's show, I'll be visiting in studio with BYU basketball assistant coach Heath Schroyer. Heath back in Provo for his second stint on the Cougar Hoop sidelines. He'll be followed in studio by former BYU defensive lineman and linebacker and former NFLer Brady Popinga. Brady will be joining us from his new home base in L.A. as the guest in our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, sponsored by BYU alumni. But as will be our custom, I start each show by conversing with one of my colleagues from BYU TV Sports. And tonight, he is former BYU quarterback and current football and basketball analyst, co-host of AFR, Blaine Fowler. Blaine, good evening to you. What's going on? We are a couple weeks into football camp and getting a sense of what this 2017 football team might look like. We never know until we start putting W's and L's on the board. But uh, you and I have watched some practice together, shoulder to shoulder. I learn a lot when I've watched practice with you. And I just want to get your overall general impressions of these guys again about a couple of weeks in now as to how they're progressing uh toward the opener and then of course that all-important week one slash week two game against lsu you know offensively i think they're way ahead of where i expected them to be at this point um and i expected them to be better than they were last year but but literally on the first day of practice and i was there from the first snap of the first day of practice i was surprised that at how much further along they were. I remember being at the first practice last year, and the the horn would go off at the end of a period, and they divide the practice up into periods, 18 periods typically this time of year. The horn would go off, and everybody would kind of look around like, well, where are we going now? And they were talking about how to properly get in a huddle and, they, and about spacing on the offensive line and all those kinds of things. And it seems like there was very little offense in. Um, and day one came. And the horn went off, and everybody just knew where they were going, players and coaches. There was just a rhythm to it that seemed much more upbeat, much more confident. And when they went, it just looked like on day one, most of the offense and most of the defense was already in. And there were very few positions coming into camp that were up for grabs in terms of the starters. There was a lot of depth issues that they're trying to still sort out. But in terms of who was going to start on the offense and the defense – the coaches pretty much knew coming out of spring ball and through the summer who were going to be there, and those guys knew how to execute. How to execute, um, and right off the bat, offensively, 
There was a, a much more crisp mentality. The ball was coming up on time. Tanner Mangum is night and day better than he was last fall in the first day of camp. And I think, you know, just picked up where he left off at the end of spring. He understands this offense, and that ball's getting up on time and in the right spots. They're utilizing the tight ends in the middle of the field. The running backs are a bigger part of the, the passing game. And it's looking like an, a Ty Detmer mm-hmm. offense. First year under Ty, it was characterized offensively by ball control, time of possession, really good security, and relying on two of the best rushers the program has ever seen. Since you lose Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams, those rushing yards aren't going to be immediately and magically uh, you know, reconvened by anybody on the current roster, I don't think. They may get better, but those kind of yard numbers aren't going to be there right now. We have to presume that Ty is going to make up a good number of those yards through the air with the guy who can really throw it, yeah? And it'll be the run game when you have a Jamal Williams can be the focus. And you can set the game up by running the football and then play action pass. And that was kind of the mentality last year. In the past, BYU's been able to set the run up with a pass. And that passing game is just an extension of the run game. Quick option routes to the backs underneath. Little two- and three-yard throws. Uh, tight end look-ins and look-outs. Arrow routes. Just a quick throw game. Bubble screens and those kinds of things. Which, in essence, are, are really, really high-percentage throws. So they're much like a run game. Um, and then you set up the run game with that. And I think that we'll see that mentality this year. They'll come out. They'll throw the football around. It'll be ball control. They'll take what the defense gives. We'll see them utilize the... The, the running backs and the tight ends in that offense, and then they'll augment it by going outside, and when the defense starts to crowd up, they'll go over the top with it. And we'll see a variety of draws and those types of things. Really good balance, but maybe this year the pass sets up the run instead of the way mm-hmm. it was last year where the run sets up the pass. Were you at the scrimmage this past Saturday? Yeah. So the, the, the consensus at most camps this time of year, and you hear it invariably, defense is ahead of the offense. Then Saturday came along, and uh, Kalani will tell you the offense had a really good day. Not that he was super concerned. I think he would have liked the D-line in particular to be a little better, a little sounder. But I think it's a positive thing that after so many knowns relative to the defense, and we know what you're going to get uh, from a lot of these guys, for the offense to have a good day at this stage is a positive thing. I'm not concerned about the defense at all. So for the positive to have a win... Basically, and Kalani mm-hmm. said it, so we can say it. The offense won the scrimmage on Saturday. I think it's a great thing because I don't. I don't think that's a a, a bad mark for the defense because we know that they're going to be good. It, they were very good last year against very good competition, and it's a lot of the same faces. And and I think and, and be some fine. ones, some ones didn't play. A few ones didn't play a ton of reps uh, on Saturday, especially live stuff. Right, right. Yeah. So, so I, I really going into this don't have concerns around any of the positions defensively. I think they're deeper than they've been in a long time in the secondary. Everybody talks about the depth at corner, but there's great depth at the safety position as well. I mean, I think the first four safeties, so the ones and twos at both positions, are interchangeable. Like, literally interchangeable. It doesn't matter to so me. So Hanneman, Hadley, Jacobson, and, uh, and, and, Zane, and Anderson. Zane Anderson. Like yeah. I, I feel like there's zero drop-off with any of those guys in there. So that's a nice luxury to have. When When's the last time BYU had... Four safeties where you go, I don't really care who's yeah. in there. They're all going to be able to execute and be fine. And then at the corner position, I feel I feel the same way. Like they, They're at least four, too deep on each you side. Lose, you, you lose McChesney uh, to the and knee. Which hurts. But yeah. uh, but it, it's Gunwalaku, and it's Warner, Isaiah Armstrong, uh, Wilcox, 
Shelton, uh, Trey, Trey Green is actually yeah. had a nice camp for a freshman. So good four size. Or five guys. They have some yeah. size out at corner. They got guys that can really run. The young guys have good makeup speed. So young guys make mistakes. But but if you're young and you make a mistake, but you've got great makeup speed, so you can close on the receiver after you've made a mistake, that helps cover up some of the youth. And so it seems like the young guys have you know they can really close on the football. So. I feel as good about this secondary in terms of depth as I have in a long time. Mm-hmm. We know the linebackers are stars. You know, legitimately, those three starting backers, and and uh, Butch Powell and Warner and and Bernard, all you know, NFL caliber guys um, that are they're there, and they have decent depth there. And then the defensive line, it's kind of a bunch of no names, but there's like eight or nine guys that can rotate through there that you, you know are just going to get the job done. So I really have no concerns about this defense. I think they're going to be very good this season. My questions were, who's going to step up and be a go-to receiver on the offensive side? Is it going to come from a wide out, or is it or is it going to be a tight end? Um, how are they going to manage this running back situation? And I think the big answer so far in camp is that the go-to guy is going to be the tight end, Bushman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a combination of Bushman and, and Moroni Lealupututau. And I think... You're going to see a lot of two tight end sets because they really have been good in fall camp. They're not going to be Pitta and George on day one together, but they're going to be reminiscent because of how how their skill stack up of the last time BYU really had that tandem you could throw out there and utilize them as as true weapons. And think about it. We're two or three years ago we were going, wow, we're where's the tight end in BYU's offense? Do they even have a tight end in the program that can be a big time player? And now we look at it and go. Wow, there's a wealth of talent in that position. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be a featured position this year. They're really going to utilize them, and and I think Bushman is a budding star. And and Moroni, he reminds me a bit of Johnny Harleen. Uh, and so from his skill set, he's the kind of guy that is a big time matchup problem. And and while Dennis Pitta, and he's a fine as fine a tight end as BYU's had here, um, and he's a great NFL tight end. Just if he could have stayed healthy, yeah. you know, who knows what he he could have done in the NFL. But really, on a week-to-week basis, the biggest matchup problem was Johnny Harling when he was playing tight end. Like, you don't know how to cover him. Think about the Utah. Utah put the best safety in the an United States on him. An NFL guy who's still an NFL guy, and he had a tough I, time. I don't think yeah. there's any question Weddle was the best safety in the country mm-hmm. that year. And they said, you know what, Eric? He, and he played corner and safety. You cover him all game long. BYU knowing that said, well, we don't care. We're we can, still, we're we still throwing this. it to him. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's a battle we're going to win. And so he he was that kind of player. Harleen was a a nightmare matchup for defenses. I I think Moroni can be a nightmare matchup because if you put a big guy on him that can stick with him physically, he should be able to run away from him. And then if you you put a smaller guy, he's big enough and strong enough now that he can just muscle him. That's what BYU had with Johnny Harleen. So I think he can be that kind of role. And then you put... He and Bushman out on the field at the same time. And now the defense is going to say, let's take our best cover safety and put them on which one? One of the two. Or, yeah, so, exactly. So, so you put yeah. them on one or the other. And typically teams don't have two lockdown cover safeties. And they say, okay, where's our, where's our matchup advantage? So if they're going to put their best cover guy on Bushman, let's go to Moroni. If they're going to put him on Moroni, let's go to Bushman. So I think BYU has a real advantage at that position this year. Doesn't get talked about a lot, but let's go kicking game with the last things we talk about with you. Uh, you bring back a senior punter in Johnny Linehan. He's got a proven track record. And Rhett Almond, we thought in watching practice together that that his leg looked stronger, the ball sounded louder, and and I think there's a, there's a real truth to the fact that he's gotten better from one season to the next. Now your son Gavin is is going to be deeply involved with the special teams this year. Right? Yeah, That's he, the plan, right? He's the holder, and, yeah. and 
You know, they, what, they what's work, he saying? He's saying that all of these guys, some of the guys that are depth there too, like Edwards, who who does the kicking mm-hmm. off, and Mickelson, who's been there. All these guys have struggled the last couple of years with little back injuries or a groin injury. It, it just seems like nobody's been healthy. And then Rhett got thrown in there last year, and he was inexperienced. So now you get a whole group back in the kicking and the punting game that are confident, that have experience, and they're all 100% healthy right now. So we're watching kickoffs go to the goal line. We're watching kickoffs go into the end zone. Now, they actually don't want them to go to the end zone. They want hang time and yeah. it to go to the goal line so they can pin them deeper. Um, and in Rhett Allman, we're seeing a guy, and these guys have worked with with you know with Foley, and so it's all it's a three man team when you're kicking mm-hmm. a field goal with a, with a snapper and the holder, and they've worked thousands and thousands of reps in spring and over the summer. So it's like a well oiled machine right now. And I have not seen Allman hit the ball in his career the way he's hitting it right now. I mean, you know, you come into this and you're thinking, okay, he's the most accurate. So does he kick the short field goals, and you have somebody else come in, Edwards or Mickelson, and kick the long ones. Well, he's he was cranking. He made one the mm-hmm. other day that I thought was good for it would have been good from sixty. Yeah, and so I think the kicking game's in great hands. You have a veteran punter in Linehan. Special teams were solid last year, and I think they're short up even more this year. That's why I'm so bullish on this football team. Defense we know is going to be good. Special teams through fall camp looks fantastic, and the questions I had offensively are being answered in a big way. I mean, I know they haven't played a game yet, yeah. but but I feel as good about this team as I have about a BYU team in a long time. He is Elmira, New York's Blaine Fowler. When I got to BYU as a freshman in 1984, Blaine was one of my QBs, right? Because I, I, I came in as a freshman, a new school, and Bosco was, was the starter, and Blaine here was was the backup and had his moments in a very important season in 1984. Ended his career in 1985. I was asked this morning by the Sports Nation guys, I was on Sports Nation today, we talked about the 1983 Holiday Bowl, parenthetically. They wanted me to ask you about your perspective on that game for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this the other day before after further reviews. So they go, what was your most memorable thing about 83? Because I was on that team. And first I said, that team doesn't get enough credit. One of the great teams. I don't know why we don't talk about them in the top three teams of all time. They lost to Baylor in opener on a last-minute bomb. Then didn't lose. And then didn't lose. Yeah. And then they set the table for us in 84 to go win all the games. And and Dave Nixon and uh, and Brian Logan were going, well, I remember how we were good this year. And I said, you know, here's what I remember. I didn't know if we were ever going to lose another game. Yeah, the record the rest of our life, starts, I wasn't sure if we were going to ever lose yeah, a game. That streak starts in 83, goes <laughs> right. through 84, into 85, but right. it all began in that second game of 83. Anyway. But the 83 Holiday Bowl, it was my red shirt. I was red shirting, but I was with the team. And uh, Brendan and I traveled down. I was married that year. Um, actually, married the year before, but Bre- Brenda and I were expecting Kellen, our oldest, who started for a couple years here at Free Safety. She's about seven and a half months pregnant, got cleared to go to the the um, bowl game because you get to take spouses mm-hmm. to the bowl game. She didn't come down with the team early in the week. She came down with the Cougar Club later in the week because you know we thought we didn't want to take too many chances traveling that late in pregnancy, but she came on the charter. She immediately told uh, me when she got to the hotel, I just I don't have my stomach's kind of crampy. I'm just going to stay here. You and Mark Bellini, just go do whatever you're going to do. So Mark Bellini and I went to the mall. This is before cell phones. I get a page on the overhead thing at the mall saying, Blaine Fowler, come to the security office. I go there. They go, the phone call for you. It's Dr. Udall, the team physician. And he says, um, your wife's water broke. You're going to have a baby here in San Diego. <laughs> bowl so, baby. So bowl baby. So we, <laughs> Kellen came early and... Uh, Fortunately, one of my teammates, another quarterback, Randy White, his dad was an OBGYN in San Diego. We drove up to Tri-City Hospital in Oceanside. This was the night before the game. We had a baby. In the in the night that night, I drove back, did pregame meal, went to the game. 
right after Steve Young caught the game-winning touchdown off the hand of Eddie Stinnett. Mm-hmm. I was like, good, we got this. I ran up the tunnel, got into Mark Bellini's car, drove out to the hospital, picked up Kellen and Brenda, drove out and met the team at North Island Naval Air Station, and we flew home on the team charter when he was less than 24 hours old. And the awesome. first person to hold him, other than Brenda and I, was Jeffrey Holland, who was the president <laughs> of the university and was standing at the top of the stairs uh, on the charter to welcome us and our new baby. So... That's my memory of the 83 bowl game. <laughs> what a great story that Kellen has had to start his life with, right? That's yeah, awesome. He's, that's, the, he's the 1983 Holiday Bowl baby. That's good. Uh, Heath Schroyer is coming up next. Uh, Blaine, thanks for coming in, joining us here on the second show of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Good to be with you. Thank great. you. Always good to talk to you, Greg. All right, that's Blaine Fowler. Heath Schroyer is coming up next. Stay with us here on BYU Radio. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Heath is next. Stay with us. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Back on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, the BYU Radio app and BYURadio.org. Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel is on the air. From Fresno to Provo, from Laramie to Tennessee and other places in between, Heath Schroyer has developed his coaching craft over the last 22 years. As an assistant coach and a head coach, Heath has brought his passionate style and dedicated teaching method to programs and players around the country. After his most recent stop in the ACC, Heath is back where it almost all began. His first Division I coaching job came as an assistant coach alongside Dave Rose at BYU in 1997 at the start of a pretty massive rebuild. And now, exactly 20 years later, Heath Schroyer returns again alongside Dave Rose as a different kind of renaissance is planned here in Provo. And I welcome into Studio 2 Coach Heath Schroyer. Hi, Heath. Hey, Greg. How you doing? It's very, very well. Here. Yeah, it's Good. great to have you. Really Thank nice you. to have you. 20 years. Isn't that crazy? It, it flies, doesn't it? I mean, it just it absolutely flies. We all know who John Wooden is. I'm mm-hmm. going to share with you a John Wooden quote. Okay. Here, here's the quote from John Wooden. He said, I know of no finer coach at any level, high school, college, or pro. I stand in awe of him. Who's the him he was talking about? Morgan Wooten at the Morgan Matha High Wooten School. At the Matha High School. Morgan Wooten, the guy John Wooden talked about that way, was your coach. Yeah, absolutely. How was it, it like to play for a legend of the game? Uh, it was awesome. You know, it's, uh, I mean, we could spend an hour, hours talking about uh, my relationship with coach and what it was like to play for him. And, uh, you know, he still impacts uh, me. All the time. I mean, I, every time I go back to Maryland, I call him. He's 86, maybe 87 yep. years old now. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, I, I saw him last year. Um, I'm sure I'll see him again this fall before basketball starts. I mean, he's just, you know, he's sharp as a whip. Um, he loves the game and continues to follow the game and how the game is continuing to evolve. And uh, he's just uh, he's just a great human being, an outstanding coach, and someone that uh, I have and will always look up to. You were born in Walkersville, Maryland, mm-hmm. DeMatha Catholic High School. Those who followed the game for some time know what DeMatha means, and of course, he and, and the program and Morgan Wooten are linked. DeMatha's in in Hyattsville, which is just mm-hmm. outside of Washington D.C., right? Yes. So from Walkersville to Hyattsville, what 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 got you there? It was about an hour and a half drive. So um, before my sophomore year, I was at his basketball camp, and one of the, my coach at the camp was the JV assistant at DeMatha. And I just one day walk into the cafeteria. I said, you know, 
Does DeMatha have tryouts or do those guys just, you know, you get picked and what have you? Because it's a Catholic school. And and he said, well, no, you know, there, there's tryouts. I mean, would you be interested? And and I honestly, I said, well, Coach, I you know, I, I can't. I don't think I can play at DeMatha, you know. And so lo and behold, uh, the next game we had, I saw Coach Wooten in my game. And he watched me all week. And What position uh, did you play at this time? I, I was a guard. Okay. Um, and... So, you know, about the end of the week, um, on a Thursday, he pulled me, you know, just got me, to get, pulled me off the floor and, um, and just said, Hey, you know, I heard that you might be interested in, uh, transferring to DeMatha. And I'm like, um, you know, I, I was just, you know, flabbergasted, you know. And I said, well, sure, coach, you know, I, you know, I, something, uh, you know, obviously, you know, to play for you would be, you know, something I would always cherish and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I think you have a chance to, you know, to play for me. And he said, why don't you call your mom and dad when they come pick you up for camp? Why don't we have a conversation? <laughs> so I called dad, my dad. Now this is when they had pay phones, you know, so you, it's not like I could pick up my cell phone right. and text. So I go back to the dorm that night and called my dad and I must have been talking really fast because my dad got mad at me, thought that I was getting kicked out of camp <laughs> because I was told him to come to camp. Yeah. And so, no, 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 dad, coach wants to talk to you and this and that. So once one thing led to another and, um, you know, we went down and visited the campus and, you know, coach didn't promise me anything, promised me an opportunity. Um, and I just thought that, uh, it, it was, an, I, I knew basketball. I, I just loved the game and I, I knew my dad is a farmer. My grandfather was a farmer. And as much as I respect growing up that way, I knew I didn't want to farm. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can get out of a little bit of work if I do this. <laughs> um, so we went down and uh, made the decision. Um, it was a commitment that my parents made for me. Uh, my mom would wake me up. Um, we'd leave the house at 515. She would drive me halfway to Germantown, Maryland. I would get in, into a car with an assistant coach. He would drive me the rest of the way. Because I Google mapped it today to find out the connection between yeah. between uh, Walkersville and Hyattsville. And it's like you said, it's a 90 minute thing. No question. And um, and then I got cut from the varsity my sophomore year. Um, we had there was nine guys that signed Division one scholarships, nine seniors on the the varsity coach told me, said, you, you know, you can dress and play varsity, but you're, re- you're not going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to put you on JV and get you all the reps. So I decided to do that. And, well, the JV practice didn't get get over till 7 o'clock. So then my dad would pick me up in Germantown at about 8 and and 8, you know. So, I mean, that was a long year. And then when I – my junior year, um, I was 16, and coach said, you know, I think this is probably too much travel for you, and uh, why don't you stay with one of the coaches? You know, he has an extra room, blah, blah, blah. So sure enough, that's what I did. I was 16, hmm. and I was staying with one of the coaches at DeMatha. And the best thing, Greg, that ever happened to me was that's when the Big East and the ACC were obviously huge. Big East was really big back then. And so they would have – that's when the start of Big Monday. So Monday nights, Coach you know, Coach Murphy and I would sit and watch TV. And you know, we're watching Georgetown and Syracuse, and it's you know, a timeout. And Coach Murphy would say, okay, well, you know, you're Coach Thompson. What are you telling your team? Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm I'm 16, man. Like I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but it started me to think that way, you know, and understand how he thought and understood, you know, just that the mental part of the game. And one thing led to another, and it was it was the best decision probably I've ever made, Greg. You you went on to play beyond high school. I did. But were you at that time thinking 
like a coach or that this might be an entree to something in, in the coaching realm after you're done at the next level? Absolutely. You know, I, I knew, you know, I knew I wanted to coach because the impact that Coach Wooten had on me was something that, um, you know, I'll, like I said, I'll go to my grave saying it was the best thing I ever did. Um, but I knew I wanted to coach. I, you know, when you get into college at that point, I knew I wasn't going to play in the NBA. And, and back then, the European thing, you know, it, it wasn't as lucrative as, as it is now and those things. And um, so when I started in junior college in California at Kings River Community College, the coach there got uh, got sick, um, resigned, and then I didn't get, obviously get the job. I was 22 years old or whatever it was. I actually drove my little truck from Fresno, California, back to Maryland because I called Coach Wooten. He said, come on, you, you're going to work for me. So I was going back. I, I, I taught. He got me a teaching job. I was teaching kindergarten PE at a, pri- at a Catholic private school, which was unbelievable. And I did that for three days. And Coach Cleveland called me and, um, and said, hey, listen, you know, at Fresno City. And I went to coach. And I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I could leave and this and that, but I went to him and, and he said, Heath, you're a college guy. You know, I, I think that, I think this is something you should do. Um, he said, I don't want to lose you, but I, you know, I think this is something that's the path that mm-hmm. I see you on. So that's what I went. And then the rest is history. So those BYU fans who caught you in 1997 here and, and saw how energetic you were on the sidelines are just checking themselves going, okay, kindergarten PE. <laughs> What was he doing to those kids? <laughs> a lot of duck, duck, goose. Um, you know, we used to, I mean, I, I honestly, it's so sad, but I'll admit it. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, it was one of those things where, okay, like I, I have, you know, five-year-olds. Like, what, what am I in the world? So, you know, I learned how to play duck, duck, goose. You know, we played tag. Um, you know, we, we learned how to throw the ball. I mean, you know, I, I did it for about a week. And then Coach yeah, Cleveland yeah, called, and I'm like, you. okay, whew, here okay. we go. <laughs> so you, you, you skipped over your, your post-high school playing career, but mm-hmm. I want to mention it for this reason. You played at a JUCO and mm-hmm. a smaller division university, neither of which exists today under the name you played at. How about so that? Kings River then mm-hmm. is now Reedley College now, but Correct. it's in California, JUCO in California. Mm-hmm. Then you ended up in Georgia. It was Armstrong Atlantic State then. It's now Armstrong State, but soon to be part of Georgia Southern. They're, they're, yes. they're just swallowing it up. It's not going to be part of Georgia yes. Southern. It'll be called Georgia Southern. Mm-hmm. So you've gone to two schools that don't really kind of exist like they mm-hmm. used to. They've done a big transition. You were in California. You were in Georgia. You're from Maryland. You've been around the country. Basketball's taken you a lot of places. A lot of places. You know, um, I mean, I've went to France with, uh, with Coach Wooten to do basketball clinics. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've done... It's been is I've been have been very blessed in uh, in my career to to meet a lot of people to see a lot of things. Um, the game is uh, is done is done well by me. It really has, and it's very humbling. You know, you, you, as soon as you start to think you figure it out, it will humble you really quick. But um, I, I've had a great career up to this point. Um, been very very fortunate to be employed in this crazy business for this long. Is uh, I've been very blessed. So you mentioned Coach Cleveland calling you when you're with Coach Wooten at that time. What was the connection there? How, how did how, how did Cleveland you already have uh, some kind of contact? Well, we knew we knew each other because we our teams played against each other. Kings River at against King, Fresno State, correct? Uh huh. And um, so you know, I obviously knew Coach Cleve, and he knew me, and he knew my old boss, who is by the name of Keith Hughes, and he worked for Boyd Grant. 
at Colorado State mm-hmm. and Fresno State. So Coach Hughes was a great, you know, was a huge mentor of mine too, great basketball mind. And, and um, you know, Coach Cleveland, uh, you know, called Coach Hughes and said, hey, I'm looking for, you know, assistant. And he, he said, you need to call Heath. And uh, he said, I don't know if he'll do it. You know, he's working with Coach Wooten at the Matha. And, but uh, Coach called. And, you know, it's funny how it all works now with, with technology. I mean, you know, it, Coach left me a, uh, an answer on, my, on, on an answering machine, hmm. you know, and I called him. You know, it, it's just the 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 way things were done then is just completely different. But, um, I'm you know, it's been um, a crazy road, you know, going from here to there. But it is one that I've actually really enjoyed. Um, I, I like meeting new new people. I like um, new challenges. You know, I like to challenge myself and um, – you know, so it's it's been great. It's been a great run. The challenge at BYU first time around with Coach Cleve and Coach Rose was as big as it gets because you're yeah. inheriting a one in twenty five program, mm-hmm. a program with great history and a lot of pedigree in a twenty thousand seat building that had one win the year before. What are your memories of that first four year stint? What I called that massive rebuild. You know, it was it really looking back, it was kind of a blur um, because we just you know. <laughs> When you think about that staff, I mean, no one on that staff originally had Division One experience. You know, we just kind of had to figure it out. Um, I think Coach Cleveland w- was and is um, a great leader. Um, I think he put a great plan in place. Coach Rose and I, I mean, we just, I mean, it's funny looking back now. I mean, we just kind of, it was, uh, you know, you know, head down and we just kept working and grinding and trying to figure it out and made some mistakes and, you know, learn from those mistakes and, you know, just the wins. I mean, going, our goal that year was to get to, um, the WAC tournament. Get to Vegas. Just That's get, right. Because not everyone in the WAC made it. Uh, four, I think four of the teams didn't qualify Absolutely. that year. So you had to just get there. Four or six teams didn't qualify. So we wanted to be one of the teams that just got there. Right. And the one thing I, you know, I always took from that first year is that we did continue to get better, you know, as the year went on. And, you know, looking back, I mean, we, you know, we had to sweep New Mexico and UTEP to get into the WAC tournament. On the road, Lobos have a 40-odd game <laughs> win streak going right. in the pit, and then UTEP is UTEP at their place. And lo and behold, we have this. We had weird weather. We had to, we had to bus, yes. I, think, I think, to Vegas to fly to Albuquerque. Some weird thing happened. We were busing. I know that. And then we, we silenced the pit crowd. You guys, I say we, you guys silenced a pit crowd that did not know what hit them. And it was yeah. like from, from the get-go, that was BYU's game. It was unbelievable. I mean, Justin Whitehour had a career game. It seemed like, I mean, he hit big shots. I mean, Brian Dignan hit big shots. Ricky Bauer. I mean, I remember all those guys. And, you know, we go to UTEP. I remember Lance Archibald hitting a huge three right in front of our bench. To get us into overtime, I think. And And then in three overtimes. That's right. And then McKelly McKelly seals it on the uh, free throws. And, but it it was just, you know, and then, but it it was, it was an, it was a great experience. I, I'll, I've said this many times to a lot of people. As far as pure basketball, it's working here has been one of the best experiences I've had. You know, I, I loved my first first stint here. Um, you know, Coach Rose and I have remained friends for a long time. Coach Cleveland, heck, I've worked for him for three different times. So, hmm. um, you know, it's just it, you know we really are a, a, a close knit group and a family. And um, you know, I, I I do. I love BYU and. Um, you know, it's great to be back. 
And that first team that, you know, very, very few nine-win teams will be as memorable uh, as, oh. as, as, as that team in 1997-98. I keep looking down the schedule and remembering the individual wins. I see Ohio State. I know that was in Hawaii against Michael Red. No I, question. I, I see Tulsa. I think that's against Bill Self yes. in Tulsa when he was, was coaching those guys. Then it I look was. at that last weekend just to get to Vegas and so many good, good memories. And that was year one for you guys on the ground floor of this <clears> thing. <throat> you mentioned Coach Cleve working for him three different times. Fresno City, then BYU, mm-hmm. then Fresno State. Because here's how it went. For, for Heath since the first end at BYU. Four years here. The great thing is the fourth year is the NCAA tournament year. Right. That's when we get back to where right. we needed to be. Mm-hmm. And did it feel like the right time for you at that point? Did you feel like this is a nice way um, to take on a new challenge? Yes. I mean, I, you know, Coach Cleveland and, and Coach Rose, too. I mean, I sat with those guys um, through that decision, and, and they, they all knew that I wanted to be a head coach. Um, you know, it's no secret. I'm not LDS. Um, and coach Cleveland really wasn't happy with that going into the league of leaving in Wyoming, but he thought it was a good spot for me because, you know, they had a good team. But it wasn't the head job of Wyoming. Correct. It was was assistant. Yeah. Um, the athletic director there was, uh, it's, it's still is Lee moon and, uh, is still a good friend of mine. Um, he was very influential in, in recruiting me to go there. Um, but yeah, it was really hard, Greg. I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, because you, you know, you kind of put down some roots and, um, but I, I thought it was a good time. I knew ultimately what I wanted to do and knew I needed for me personally to probably have a couple different mm-hmm. experiences. Um, and then obviously going to Wyoming and winning the league and going to the NCAA tournament and beating Gonzaga. Um, and then the athletic director at Portland State was a Wyoming guy, was a Wyoming graduate. And that's kind of how all that happened, which happened a little quicker than than I thought. That was your first head coaching job. Mm-hmm. So it was from here to Wyoming assistant, Portland State head coach, back with Cleveland Fresno State as mm-hmm. an assistant. Then you're back to Wyoming as a head coach. UNLV with Coach Rice, Correct. right, as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Then UT Martin, where you're a head coach for two seasons. and uh, Two seasons, right? Yes. And the second of the two seasons... You're playing Austin P in the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament Finals. Mm-hmm. I'm in Las Vegas in a hotel room for the WCC tournament watching that game. <clears throat> and the way the game was going, certainly first half, I'm thinking, he's going to the dance. And it just didn't turn out that night yeah. to be your night. But you were pretty darn close. It's been tough. You know, I, I tell people I'm, I'm pretty good in the regular season. I'm, I must not be very good as a head coach in the tournament. Because it happened to me, at, we won the league at Portland State. We won the league at uh, Martin. But... Um, you know, it was one of those nights. I mean, we swept Austin P. my first year and second year, and we were 4-0 going into the game. And you know, it was just one of those nights. And, you know, when they banked in a three from the left slot in the second half, I turned to my assistant and I just said, you know what, it, it, it might not be our night. Um, but the Martin experience was awesome because, you know, I've had three really hard jobs. <laughs> I should have my head examined probably. You know, you go to UT Martin, they had three winning seasons in 23 years. Um, you know, we, we played 11 by games in two years. Um, you had 20 plus wins both years, didn't you? We there? did. Yeah, we did. And, um, but I'll tell you, Greg, when, when I, when I got dismissed at Wyoming, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had to really evaluate and there were some, you know, there's obviously were things in the personal life that we won't talk about and you and I've talked about privately, but you know, I had to take a step back and evaluate myself too and say, you know, what do I need to do better? What do I need to do different? Um, let, let me look at how I hired my staff. Let me look at all those things. And then going to UNLV, the NBA Summer League was there. And for three summers, I just engulfed myself into basketball. 
and was able to watch practices, watch obviously all the summer league games, go to lunch with, you know, assistant coaches in the D league, assistant coaches in the NBA, just all, and just kind of engulf myself and really, um, learn the analytical part of the game. Um, and my philosophy really evolved and changed. And, you know, so then when I was at, at Vegas, we obviously had a great one, won 71 games those first three years. And then um, when the Martin job came, a lot of people told me not to take it. But, you know, once you're a head coach, you want to – I mean, you kind of itch to do that. And um, so I took it and, you know, I took all those experiences and what I learned from getting dismissed and getting fired from mm-hmm. Wyoming and, and took it to a really difficult job. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of what we did at Martin. Um, it, it was a great, it was a great, great experience. You left the head coaching post for an assistance job in the ACC this past year with NC State. Mm-hmm. What did you take out of this past year? Um, I, I understand the, the ACC is a bear. I mean, it's just you know, it's a bear. Um, but I, I really understood, you know, how important you know the 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 details are in in every part of the program. Um, I understand how humbling the business is, you know, that, you know, just, you know, bad chemistry, a couple bad recruiting classes, a couple bad, you know, breaks, things can, you know, can, can go away. Coach Gottfried is a great guy. I mean, he is a, a class act and, uh, you know, I enjoyed my time with him and, um, but you know, it, uh, things happen. And, um, you know, so when, when, you know, going back to now March, um, you know, and I had, I, at this point, you know, I wanted to Greg, if I was going to be an assistant again, I wanted to be with someone who I knew, but probably more importantly knew me. Mm-hmm. And you know, when when coach called and and you know we started talking about it after Terry left, and um, you know, it, it it just felt right. You know, and I had other opportunities, um, but it just felt right. And I, I wanted to kind of go back to to be with someone that, like I said, really knew me. And, and and at this point of being in, you know, you said to have 22 years in this business, you know, Coach Rose and I were able to have real honest, frank conversations. And and I just said to him, Coach, what, you know, Dave, what do you want? You know, like, what is it that you want me to do? Here's what I think I can do. Here's where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the same guy I was when I was 25. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some things that I might not do as well. There's a lot of things I think I do better. But what? It, let's see if this actually works for both of us. And after we had those conversations, um, I just realized it was a great fit. It's a good fit for my family. Um, you know, my wife is from Vegas and um, who is without question the best basketball player in our family, by the way. But, that's Kim, uh, that's Kim Ortega, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, but uh, it just felt right. And, you know, after the couple conversations with Coach, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And, um, and it worked out. Now that you're back, uh, let's have you leave our listeners with what you think 2017-18 has in store for BYU basketball fans. I think they're going to be really surprised. I think that um, I think we're going to be. I think I think we're going to be good. I think we're going to play different. Um, I think we're going to be more efficient on both sides of the ball. Um, but I think, Coach, the one thing I and I've said this to to a couple of the people, the thing that I respect about Coach Rose the most. And I respect a lot of things. But here's a guy who's averaged 25 wins over 12 years, 12 postseasons, eight NCAA tournaments, and two NIT Final Fours. Okay, so Mm -hmm. he's had unparalleled success here. But what he wants to do and and what he's told me is that he said, listen, Heath, I want you to come in here 
in the first month or so, I want you to look at everything and I want to be transparent. Tell me what you think. You know, you've been a lot of places, been a head coach. Tell me what you see. Tell me what you think. And I'm, I've respected him so much for the fact that he's had so much success, but he's not one of those guys that says, well, this is just what we always do. So this is what we always do. And he wants to evolve and wants to get, you know, wants to do things a little bit different and wants to change things. And I, I respect him uh, so much for that. Um, you know, I mean, he he's really energized. Um, he's into it. I mean, he's spending time with our guys. Um, he's he's I mean, he's just he's doing a great job and um, he is a great leader. You know, one thing that I've um, that I, I've learned to respect because, you know, when Dave, when coach and I worked together, we were we were both assistants. But now coming back and, and him being my boss, um, you know, his leadership style is, you know, is outstanding. I've learned a lot from him already. And he's just a guy that uh, I respect so much on a personal level. But now coming back on a, on a professional level, um, you know, he, he he's one of the best out there. Hmm. Well, I'm not alone in saying I'm happy you're here and happy you're back and really looking forward to the season with you and the guys coming up. Heath, thanks for coming in. Hey, no problem, Greg. Thank you. Really good. All right. That's Heath Schroyer, BYU basketball assistant coach. Coming up after this break, behind the mic with Greg Rubel continues, former BYU and NFLer Brady Papinga is my guest from his home in Los Angeles. You're listening to Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, Brady Papinga next. Stay with us. With the BYU license plates, no matter where you are, you show your cougar spirit, and you make it possible for students to get an education. The donation you make when you get the license plates goes to support BYU scholarships. So whether spreading Cougar pride coast to coast or getting to the big game, you're also funding scholarship opportunities for BYU students. Learn about free special plates today at alumni.byu.edu slash plates. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. All right, Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel continues. It's our second ever show. Glad to have you with us here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, coast to coast to Cougar Nation. We're also on BYURadio.org and the BYU Radio app. After tonight's show, if you didn't catch it live, you'll catch it on the podcast. Go to the Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel podcast feed, catch it there, or on the show page at BYURadio.org. Well, he's born in Evanston, Wyoming. Brady Papinga. Played for BYU from 2001 to 2004 and uh, racked up 39 tackles for loss as a Cougar. Fifth highest number for any BYU defensive player since 2000. His 19 sacks as a Coug are fourth most at BYU in that span of time as well. Both a defensive lineman and linebacker at BYU later. Draft pick of the Green Bay Packers for whom he played six seasons. Then suiting up for St. Louis and Dallas. Brady Papinga played with passion. It's that characteristic which has primarily defined his work as a player and a broadcaster, but he's equally defined by his community, church, and charity work. He is the author of a book entitled The True Spirit of Competition. It is a pleasure to welcome Brady Papinga to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Brady, thanks for coming on tonight. It's my pleasure there, Greg. Thanks for having me, man. How you doing? So you guys are sounding good. I listened to your last interview and was uh, enjoying it. It was thoroughly entertaining. Thank you very much. You're joining us, even though you sound studio crystal clear. You're joining us from your home in Los Angeles. Tell us about what has taken you to L.A. these days. 
Well, the good weather. You know, I lived in Wyoming, like you had mentioned, <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, you wouldn't believe how many summers were stolen from me because of snowstorms <laughs> and uh, cold weather. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, the big reason why I came here, I was like, man, I need to get my summers back. So, <laughs> they, you know, the old song by the Beach Boys that was remade a number of times, Endless Summer. There's a reason behind that, and then it's it's it was it was fun to come down here with the broadcasting opportunities, and then other opportunities that also rose. But man, I, I love being able to go to the beach, you know, in in January, then turning around two days later, then driving up to the mountains, doing my skiing like I used to do when I grew up in Wyoming, and. I'm having a good time with that. So I'm making up for those lost summers is the main reason why I'm here there, Greg. This is our Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And tonight in Catching Up with the Cougars, we are catching up with Brady Papinga. And uh, Brady, just first up, uh, fill us in on on the broadcasting duties you currently have and expect to have here uh, in the short term. Well, yeah, I've had a blast working with Fox Deportes, and that's covering the NFL in Spanish. And uh, a couple years ago, we broke the record. We were the first full telecast, full show in all Spanish, Spanish graphics, a pregame show, a halftime show, postgame show to cover the Super Bowl. And that was the Super Bowl. I forget. I think it was, what, 50, 49? I don't remember. But it was the one with the Seahawks versus the Broncos where the Seahawks destroyed the Denver Broncos up in New York. Uh, and so that was fantastic. And then ever since then, we've been covering when Fox doesn't have the Super Bowl, uh, all the playoffs and then games here and there during the regular season. Like last year, we were covering the uh, the, the game in London, the Thanksgiving Day game. And uh, we'll be looking to do the same this year. And then also I work for Westwood One Radio and I do a number of their NFL games. Mm-hmm. Heard and you there last year. I, yep. Yeah, and then also I do uh, some college football games. My first one on tap this year is going to be UCLA versus Texas A&M down in the Rose Bowl. So... Uh, yeah, I got a lot of fun stuff going on there. And then I have a weekly radio show with Fox Sports Radio on Saturdays from, uh, what is it, 1 to 5 Pacific time, so 2 to 6 Mountain time. And sometimes I do believe I air in the uh, Salt Lake area, Utah Valley area there. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you just can't can't escape a guy. I may be just that guy. You've got enough You've got enough going on these days. That's, uh, that's yeah. a, that's a yeah. full foot. Football's been good to you, hasn't it? Oh, it's been phenomenal to me. It's been phenomenal to me. It's been phenomenal to my family. You know, so uh, yeah, you just it just keeps perpetuating. It's been it's been great. Uh, in your Westwood One work, uh, I I I thought you did a game with Harlan last. Year. Have you done games with Kevin Harlan? I sure did. I did yeah. a Monday night game with him and uh, Ke- uh, Kurt Warner. Yeah, so I, I I recall that game specifically because of how much I admire. Kevin Harlan. People think of Kevin as as, as a great uh, TV announcer primarily, and he's you know he he kind of became famous for some of his NBA work and NBA calls. But oh, yeah. I really, really think Kevin shines the most as a radio guy because of his attention and almost obsessive dedication to detail. I get more things out of a Kevin Harlan call than I may get out of any other radio broadcaster. He is truly, I think, dedicated to painting as broad and vivid and bright a picture for his audience as anybody. He will say things that other broadcasters just choose to leave out. It's what I've noticed. I wonder what you've noticed from working along him, because he is tremendous as a radio caller. Oh yeah, I mean he he was impressive. I mean just the how at natural it is and 
and uh, second nature to him is, I mean, there's no thinking. It's just, re, you know, it's just like he's done it so much and he's into it so much that it's just he goes and he just goes and he goes. It's like you put a quarter in him, you flip a switch and just, just ramble, blah, blah, blah. But it's not like a ramble. I mean, like you said, every kind of detail he gets has value. It's mm-hmm. just not wasted chatter. It's it's legitimate. And I mean, it's, you know, I enjoy listening to him, let alone just, you know, working with the guy. And mm-hmm. then he's a phenomenal guy. I was able to actually get to know Harlan. Uh, when his dad was the CEO of the Green Bay Packers, Bob Harlan. Uh, he would come visit us quite often. He'd cover, and he still does, do the uh, Packer preseason game. So, yeah, Kevin Harlan, he's not only a heck of a broadcaster, but he's a fun dude to be around, and uh, he is a master of his craft. There's no question about that. And, and obviously, he's with his basketball, where you know, like this, he's got those those sayings. Because the one that where he really put himself on the map was when anybody would shoot a three-pointer, you know, and he'd basically say, you know, shot it right between the eyes, mm-hmm. you know, hitting the three-pointer. I mean, those are just... Things that stick with you. It's a lot like the old uh, the legend there in uh, in Utah with the Utah Jazz Hot Rod, Hot Rod Hundley, Hundley with the old cowhide globe hitting home and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. stocked in yo yo yoing the basketball, those kinds of things, and and uh, so yeah, uh, Kevin Harlan, man, he's going to go down as one of the great ones. We're visiting with Brady Papinga as we are catching up with the Cougars here on the Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. So you grew up in Wyoming, and not everyone who grows up in Wyoming. Dreams of playing for BYU, I think it's fair to say, uh, but you, but, but you did, and, and I presume that, that your dad uh, and your family and your faith had a lot to do with all that. Your dad played at BYU, which fans may or may not remember, uh, and and uh, that was kind of your thing. You wanted to be a BYU guy. How much did that put you at odds with the people in your social circle growing up? It was always at odds because it was you know you had the Wyoming Cowboy group that uh, they hate they hate BYU they hate anything to do with BYU and it's just because. Things tend to be a little nicer down in Provo than they are in Laramie, Wyoming, and I think people who go to Laramie, Wyoming, could probably you know second that one. And then the second thing is the success that BYU had had for all these years. You know, I mean, Wyoming they, they'll shoot up a nice year like they did last year, you know, every so often. And so I think it was a little bit of a jealousy factor. And I mean, come on, the, the unis. I mean, just right there, right off the bat, just <laughs> separate. I mean, yeah, golden brown. You know, I can do golden green all day with Green Bay Packers, but golden brown? Are you kidding me? And then you got, you know, BYU slick colors. You know, they weren't as slick, actually, when I was playing, even though they still were navy and that tan, but mm-hmm. uh, the color scheme was a little off. But anyway, uh, yeah, there was, you know, there was some smack talking going on. I mean, the, the best one was, it was, the, you know, if you remember Dana Dimmel, he was the head coach that was recruiting me when in, going into my senior year. And uh, I had I, I had a hard time with Wyoming just telling them, no, off the bat, you have no chance of me because BYU is – the place I was going, I had no mm-hmm. problem telling Nebraska that. I had no problem telling Notre Dame that. I had no problem telling every other big school that recruited me, like, don't waste your time. I'm going to BYU. But because Wyoming, being the home, you know, grown boy, and then also my brother was there, I sort of led them along. And then at the very end, I told them I was going to BYU, and it really ticked them off. <laughs> and what they did was, is their strategy to draw me into Wyoming is they offered a guy on my high school team who was a good friend of mine, not really a Division One player. But a guy that they were hoping that if they offered him that he may, you know, want to you know, influence me to go to Wyoming along with having my brother there. And the, the the biggest cheap shot was is in the local paper. They were so I, you know, I signed with BYU and sure enough, this kid in my high school team who, again, had one offer going to Wyoming. Nobody else recruited him. Uh, he went to he went to Wyoming and they were asking Dana Dimmel about the situation. You know, you didn't get Brady, but you got this other kid, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, we, we got the best of the two. <laughs> I was like, wow, what a cheap shot, Dana. <laughs> and a number of years later, he gets fired, you know. But uh, it was one of those things to where it's just that's the culture. You know, they, they, they don't like BYU. And if you shun them like that, they take it very personally. 
Yeah, I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned passion as kind of being a, de- a defining characteristic. You, you, you'd go along with that, right? You, you acknowledge that. Oh, no question. It's all no about passion. About now, you, yeah. your, your competitive nature made you who you were and are. You, in your book, and I mentioned the, uh, the, the name of the book a little earlier, and the book is called The True Spirit of Competition. It's kind of, it's your story. And, yeah. and competitive nature has definitely its pros and its cons. And you were able to recognize, I think, both, both, both aspects, right? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, early on in my life, I didn't, if you read the book, and that was like Mm -hmm. my greatest challenge. I mean, I just couldn't have relationships that were like respectable with people I competed against. And it was so odd because my greatest, you could say, rival was my older brother, you know, and it's like, how can we be good brothers? But then at the same time, you know, sort of exercise those those intuitive kind of things that had to do with competition, like playing sports against one another. You know, but uh, it took going on a mission and and, uh, having my, you could say, perspective recalibrated, uh, almost lifted to the point to where, you know, you could see above the the fray there and now finally get to the the nuts and bolts as to what really this is all about, you know, and that's what really excited me. When I had that epiphany, which I talk about in the book, Mm -hmm. of where my whole perspective of competition changed, not only did it enrich my competitive experiences to the point to where now they they were constantly perpetuating off fantastic fantastic experiences like we talked about football being good to me a lot of that was due to the fact because i changed my my mode of thinking my attitude and my approach uh, and then also my relationships tremendously grew and and one was with my brother casey that uh that and he like i said he was my my bitter rival growing up but uh and we're talking he, like fi- I, we're talking like fist fight rival i mean you guys you guys time, got to could, it yeah we could never finish a one-on-one competition no matter what it was because it would always come down to brawling and fighting and <laughs> And I mean, it was like separate the two. These guys, and they didn't. My parents did not know what to do with us, and that's why when we played against each other, like head to head, when he was playing at Utah State and I was at BYU, my parents were literally on pins and needles. <laughs> if you talk to anybody that game, like my mom usually is very emotional. She's a former cheerleader. She didn't say a word. My dad sat there stoic. I mean, they didn't. I mean, it was the most, if you remember that game, one of the most exciting games maybe in BYU history. Had the biggest comeback ever. You know, we were down what thirty-one to ten going into the halftime, and we roar back and win the game, thirty-four thirty-one, I believe, in the second half. And uh, my parents didn't even show any emotion. And then after the game, you know, my, my brother and I, you know, we, we hugged. And I think we became closer because of that. But, I mean, we went at it. I mean, the first play of the game, he walks out of the huddle. He goes, what's up, Braid? You know, and I mm-hmm. go down. And, and, and I tell the rest of the story of the book. But, you know, basically he and I collide. And my my hand slips up to his throat. And I just start choking him out. I'm not worried about choking <laughs> him out. You know what I mean? I'm just worried about i got to set the edge and do my job. And then after the play's over, I was like, wow. I just was choking out my brother. How about that? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just this this dichotomy of a world. But like I said, if you handle the competitive situations properly, like, which I eventually learned how to do, not exactly perfect, but, you know, more so than not, then they become far more beneficial for both uh, parties involved in that experience. Older brother, Casey. Younger brother, Kelly. Uh, how's yeah. Kelly doing out in uh, Charlottesville? You talk a lot? Oh, Kelly and I, yeah, we 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 always are talking shop. I think you know his wife and my wife, and we're together. They just get so sick of us talking football. We talk <laughs> schemes, you know, and he's having fun. That whole coaching staff's enjoying the challenge that it is of reinvigorating the culture because I think, you know, these bigger schools like the big, you know, these pack or P five schools, what they call them. Uh, they, they always get talent. I don't think talent's ever an issue. Uh, what separates the really good ones from the average and the the not so good ones is the culture. And so when uh, Bronco and his staff, along with my brother Kelly, showed up to Virginia, that was the thing that they realized off the bat, this is not a winning culture. You could see it 
this last year. I mean, whenever they were close in in a game, it's like they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what it took to go and just take the win from somebody. They they saw it with panic, and you know the wheels would fall off, and so on and so forth. But he's enjoying that experience of reestablishing a culture, which is essentially a mindset, you know, and taking the the culture that they had established in BYU and the ways that they had established it at BYU, and then customizing it to Virginia because it's a different set of kids that they're mm-hmm. dealing with, obviously. But uh, he's enjoying it, as is the the whole staff in general. Brady, I enjoyed uh, chatting with you tonight, and I just want to maybe leave our audience last thing from you. If you were to describe how you view yourself relative to BYU nowadays, how is it? Uh, I I look at myself as a a big fan. You know, I mean, I used to be, I felt like I was a little bit more involved with my brother there because he was my conduit. Now that he's gone, I'm sort of uh you know the, there's a there's a big gap but uh man I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of uh, what Kalani's done I, what Kalani's done was so wise you know cuz he's come in and he basically took an already unbelievably successful program which I don't think people give BYU and what Bronco did at BYU enough credit and maybe it's cuz of Bronco's personality he's not you know he's not Lavelle Edwards he's not the most likable guy which you know Bronco if you Asked him if he cared about being likable, he'd say, "I don't care." So it's like he achieved achieved his uh, his objective. But point being is, he comes in Kalani, and he doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. Now he he brings in different schemes and that kind of stuff. But to come in and to basically say, "Hey, we're just going to build off of what these other guys did," which is what he's been doing and it continues to do. Man, that's just it's just it's just wise because I've seen it other way. You know, when Gary came in. Uh, when I was playing, he tried to just he, – he immediately tried to say, I'm different than Lavelle, and this is all my differences, and he just wanted to go completely away. He wanted to leave you know, the foundation that had been set, and obviously we, we weren't very successful doing that. But uh, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch what Kalani's doing with Ty Detmer. That's been exciting too. I was a big Ty Detmer fan. I remember mm-hmm. running into him. Uh, for the first time at the BYU facilities, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, I never – I don't get starstruck too often, but he I was starstruck when I saw the guy. I was like, oh, but it's Ty Demner. You know, and here he is. He's a shorter guy. He just looks like a regular accountant, you know, that you'd find in some firm down the road. And uh, the fact that he came back to BYU and is able to share his knowledge is fun. So, I mean, I look at myself as a pure fan, and I give, you know, any kind of help, render any kind of help that they uh, – they asked me to give, and uh, and that's that's my relationship and uh, where I stand with BYU. Well, I still think of you as a Cougar and and uh, and one of my favorites, uh, Brady. Thanks for coming on and chatting appreciate with me on, on my second ever show tonight. I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Fantastic stuff, and good luck to you, man. If you need anything else from me, you know where to find me, Greg. Thanks a lot, Brady Papinga. As we were catching up with the Cougars on behind the mic with Greg Grubel, and that is going to do it for episode number two of this program. Sincere thanks to Blaine Fowler coming in, top of the hour, talking BYU football camp with us, to Heath Troyer, BYU's assistant coach 20 years ago and now again here in 2017. Wonderful stuff from Heath and kind of uh, tracking his basketball history and how it's influenced his life over these many stops over the many years. And Heath is now with the Cougars, and he expects, and we expect great things in 2017-18. And to Brady Papinga, the former Cougar, Green Bay Packer, NFL defensive lineman and linebacker for joining us from Los Angeles. You hear him all kinds of places as he shared with us during his segment. All right, thanks to all, and thank you for joining us out there in Cougar Nation. This has been Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on Sirius XM 143, BYUradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. We'll talk to you next Wednesday at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. Good night.